Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. This series, we're focusing on female financial independence, looking towards a stronger financial future. Be sure to let us know your thoughts on the show, and please do connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk. So today's show, I'm going to be talking to Emma Williams, who is a scientist, an environmental scientist, who works with satellites that are used to monitor our planet's changing environment. She's a mother of two, and 20 years ago, Emma became uh, understanding the evidence for climate change, and more importantly, the implications of it. And today, we're going to be talking about active hope for our planet, the love for our planet, and for love for ourselves in terms of what change we can do without stressing ourselves out. Let's get talking to Emma. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Well, um. I, I think, I mean, how many letters do you have asked you after your name? I always get fascinated by how qualified and how amazing there are women particularly. I mean, I, I think growing up, I didn't have enough examples of such educated women in my life. So I always get fascinated. Um, so tell us about your educational background. Sure. So um, I studied physics um, at Imperial College in London. I actually studied a degree called Physics with a Year in Germany. Um, and I spent my third year in Hamburg. Um, it was there that I met my husband um, and we built a laser together in our, in our first year laboratory. That was, that was how we got to, got to know each other. Um, so I did a physics degree. And after I finished my physics degree, I had an opportunity to join the National Physical Laboratory, um, which is the United Kingdom's what we call National Measurement Institute. So it, we're the people that are responsible for the length of the meter and how heavy a kilogram is and, and all of these things. Um, and I've actually worked there ever since. Um, I did my PhD um, while working there. So, so I have a PhD. Um, I don't often use the title outside work because probably because of that point that Mr. and Doctor sounds a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I tend I tend to use it only um, only professionally. But yes, I, I am a doctor, Dr. Williams, um, and uh, and I'm also a, a member of the Institute of Physics, and that all those things give me me extra letters. Um, I've I've risen. I mean, I've been at MPL now for 23 years. Um, I've risen from my early career when I worked in a laboratory measuring actually measuring lamps when I was 10 my parents gave me a prism for my birthday and I said when I grow up I'm going to have a job splitting light into pretty colors and so I did um, the first job the first job I had I was in a laboratory um, and I took light and I split it up with something very similar to a prism and I looked at how much light there was in different different parts of the spectrum um, eventually that work took me into the world of satellites because the satellites that are looking at the earth from space um, those satellites are um, often measuring the spectrum of the light you know how much light is coming off the earth in 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 which colors Um, and they give you all the pictures that we see of the earth from space but they can actually tell you a lot more useful information like how much algae is in the sea or how healthy the rainforests are or whether a farmer needs to put more fertilizer on that field Um, there's amazing things you can tell from satellites my job is about making sure that the satellites all agree with each other so you can 
get data from the American satellites, from NASA and the European Space Agency satellites, and you can compare them and they, they agree. And the reason that I do that is because I'm trying to understand climate change. So these satellites are often giving us some of the really key information that is needed to understand um, the climate, both the historical climate and the, and then to use that to fill models that can then help us predict the future climate. Incredible. Wow. <laughs> Just wow. I, w- I wanted to um, be a, um, when I was growing up, when I, I remember I was in the last year of primary school and I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I knew deep down I'd never really be an astronaut. It was just one of those things that was so far-fetched. And I love it when I hear people say, I wanted to be whatever. And, you know, it's something that's not normal in the sense of, like, actually when I did my uh, career, um, my, my career uh, teacher at school, more secondary school, they'd say, oh, you're, you're going to be a receptionist or a hairdresser, Rebecca. Um, and I didn't quite believe them, but I, I, believe, I believe them in terms of the stretch of where my career might grow. It'd be something like that. Certainly not a doctor or uh, never anything like that. So I think it's amazing that at such a young age, you had such ambition and knew what you wanted to do. And now, and now look what you're doing and what an important job that is. Oh, my goodness, because all of that data and that information is driving. Well, that, that's what they must be talking about at, at COP26, the data that you're pulling together. Yes, so um, you've probably heard of the IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So they have the physical science basis, which is all the scientific evidence for climate change. Um, And that's the first report that gets written in each cycle. Um, And then there are reports that then get written on the human response to that. So what do we do about it? How do we mitigate it? How do we adapt to it? Um, so those become second reports, but the first one that gets written is what is the physical science basis? And of course, IPCC have been writing reports like this since the early 1990s. Um, and the main message hasn't changed. The main message of 1990 that predicted how the earth was going to heat up, that is how the earth has been heating up. Um, so that that message hasn't changed. But what has happened since 1990 is we've got more information, we've got more detail we can now make more accurate or more local predictions. So we can start talking about, well, what does this mean for London? What does this mean Mm. for Devon? Rather than what does this mean for Northern Europe? Um, You know, that, that, and, and the, the sort of ever increasing amount of information, particularly coming from satellites, because the nice thing about satellites is that they measure the whole globe. They measure everywhere. They, they see everything. Um, And so they can look and they can monitor how, rainforests might be being cut down they can monitor I, let's hope how forests are getting rebuilt <laughs> as trees are, are we seeing trees that are big are we, are we, are we not quite that? yet <laughs> not okay. quite yet at the moment the stories are all still quite negative there are positives um, there are examples of of um places where you know people are planting trees I mean, the the the, the um green um, chain in, in, in Africa is an amazing example of this. So the, this is often usually women who, who lead on this as well. So um, women who are subsistence farmers in sub-Saharan Africa have got together, have recognized the challenge of, of, of a potential expanding um, Sahara, and they've started planting trees on the border of the Sahara to try to stop it spreading incredible wow um and you can see that on the satellite and you can see that on the satellite so 
you, you're starting to see there are some places and, and often actually the, the the really good steps are coming from these often women in um, these communities who know what's happening so some of the people who gave the best speeches at the um, COP26 and, and, and previous COPs have been um, women from sub-Saharan Africa or from um, the Finnish country you know the, 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 the northern the people who live in northern Finland um, yeah uh, the, it's affecting them and it's because it's affecting them they're seeing yeah. it um, the most the, the, you might know that um, COP uh, the Paris Agreement said we were going to aim for 1.5 degrees Celsius yeah. um, or we were going to we were going to go well below two degrees with an aim of 1.5 and the reason that that 1.5 is so important is because the people in the low-lying islands in the Pacific know that at two degrees their island goes underwater mm. now they don't want to become refugees so they're actually buying up land in other countries so they can move Um, with land they've purchased rather than um, as as climate refugees others might not have that option Um, but it's the people in those communities who are giving the strongest messages but also who often have the strongest ideas about what we can do about it so I think one of the um, so I look at this all very dispassionately professionally um, with the satellites from space you know getting numbers coming out perspective though because you're not sitting at a board of a charity you're not sitting uh, working for a firm. You're not even sitting somewhere where you're going, this is affecting me personally, because you're probably much like myself. This is probably not, apart from the emotional knowing of what's happening, it's not actually affecting you. But because you've got this data, what a sort of, you, we talk about taking a step back, or you can't really take a bigger step back than the satellites that circulate <laughs> the world, can you? So no, it I... must, must be such an interesting perspective. Yeah, and if you think about, there's a really, really famous photo I always start all my talks with, um, and it's a photograph that was taken by astronauts um, on the way to the moon. And it was back in the 1960s. Everybody was fascinated by getting to the moon. But as soon as the astronauts were on those rockets, they looked back and they saw the Earth from space and they went, wow. Wow, yeah. And... I think that the whole environmental movement started from that wow, because what they did, although they were not supposed to, they were supposed to be taking photos of the moon. <laughs> they wasted some film taking photos of the earth yeah, because they just couldn't resist. You know, they were human beings seeing the earth from space for the first time. time. And, and I think we forget because that pic- image is now so familiar, but I think mm. we forget the, the emotional response that came from that view. And, there's no political boundaries. There's no, um, you see the continents and the ocean, those are the only boundaries that matter. Um, yeah. you, you don't see the political boundaries. You, you, you see how thin our atmosphere is and how much vastness wow. of space surrounds us. When you look at it, so I can, I can look at this. And, and one of my things, you know, even about when I was um, 10 and I was playing with my prisms and my light, I got it on two levels. There was the intellectual me that was like, oh, this is fascinating um, that light is split up into these colours and what's that mean? And then there was the almost spiritual me that went, wow, mm. I love this. I, I, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm responding emotionally. And I think those pictures of the earth can do both those things. It can give us yeah. the facts. It can give us numbers. It can give us trends. And it can also give us a sense of, this is our planet it's our only planet 
Sure. We so want based to. on what we're seeing at the moment, um, what is, I mean, in a normal week, day, month, I don't know your job well enough, but um, what top, top three trends would you be wanting to monitor and see each week from the satellite data? Um, so, so my job is a little bit more subtle than that in that what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm actually intentionally looking at really boring things like um, I've got instruments in a desert in Namibia, <laughs> um, which because what I'm looking at is how does the European satellite fly over this desert in the morning? and then the um, American satellite flies over in the afternoon how can we compare the two because I want to make sure that the data that we're so climate trends are small I mean if you think about it that the sea level sea level rise is three millimeters a year now over a long period of time and when mixed with the fact that more energy in the atmosphere because there's more heat um, means more storms yeah. Those two together mean we're more likely to get flooding, but three millimeters a year is quite difficult to measure. Mm. Um, and 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 some of the other trends are even more subtle. They're even and and so you have to take measurements for 20, 30 years before you actually see the trend. And what right. my job is is to make sure that it's a real trend that we're seeing and we can separate any effect due to the satellites. So, because obviously the satellites from 30 years ago were less sophisticated than the satellites now. um, And I do various methods to understand those differences and to account for it. And but what you see is that wherever you look, whether you look at sea level or you look at temperature or you look at um, the forest growth or you look at, you know, whatever you look, you see Hmm. the same patterns. And those patterns are consistent with what the models are telling us about about climate change which is what um, for people that maybe aren't aware that are new to this kind of conversation what is it telling us so what it's telling us is that there is that the earth is heating up yep. and um, as the earth heats up that affects weather patterns because more heat means more water evaporates from the sea which means there's more water in the atmosphere which means there's more clouds which means there's more snow storms um, more heat means those storms have more energy um, but also because it affects because the whole world is connected if you start making bigger storms in one area you often end up getting drought in another area so for the world as a whole it's going to be more unsettled they're going to be more extreme so dry places may get drier wet places will get wetter in Britain um we, we're, we're relatively well off. I mean, we're we're on a small island off off, off Europe, um, relatively far north. And what's going to happen is our summers will get hotter and drier and mm. our winters will get milder and wetter. But there will also be more extremes. So right. going from, you know, heavier rain more often, which means that we will get droughts, we'll get floods, it will affect our crops. But the real impact on Britain is probably much more on the impact it's going to have elsewhere in the world and Mm. how that's going to lead to people needing to leave those other places in the world. And so all of the challenges that we already have about mass migration Mm. um, that at the moment are mostly due to human wars um, and, and human conflict, we're going to add this additional um, component that people would be moving because of climate change and I think we as a as a British society need to decide are we going to let them in or draw up the drawbridge <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and sure. these sort of so these sort of questions are 
are really, really difficult to face. Um, yeah, and, sure, from a crop's um, and therefore, sorry, yeah, but from a crop's mm. perspective, um, uh, we're not great at, we, well, our British farmers are great, but as a country, we're not great at uh, produ- produ- producing in the UK. We often have to export from either America or Europe or somewhere. Um, so that tells me that we should be looking at more food, our food chain and our internal systems. So rather than f- farther afield, potentially. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's 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 two aspects to that. So there's there's first of all, the aspect where um, as the temperature of the world heats up, the different countries are going to be able to grow. So so some of the places where we get our food from now won't be able to provide it anymore. Um, yeah. Some some um, won't. But then there's the second aspect, which is one of the ways that we can face climate change um, is, is, is a mantra that I would say is think global, act local. Um, so you care about the whole world. The whole world is interconnected. We are not... A country on our own but at the same time a lot of the solutions come locally so I said those 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 women farmers in sub-saharan Africa they're planting their trees they're bringing solutions to their area what are the solutions that we need to bring and 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 one of those is to look at ways of growing crops locally um and um and 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 even having you know rethinking the whole um agricultural process i'm not an expert on agriculture so i wouldn't want to go into the details of that but um and and actually that 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 reminds me of a of a funny story um so i um so so um obviously as i said the, the ipcc has been saying this since 1990 I I personally started to get interested in climate change around 1998-99 when I graduated and started work and um, and I took it very seriously I mean at a time when I don't think many other people were taking it seriously I took it extremely seriously I did all my business travel by train I had night trains across Europe to all sorts of locations I um, didn't have a car um, you know, try, tried all sorts of things to lower my 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 impact. Then I had children, um, and that added an extra challenge. And I, I, I went down the route of cloth nappies. Um, I went down the route of organic clothes or secondhand clothes. Um, I was doing all sorts of things um, to try and you know minimise my impact on the environment. And and I remember one week when I think my my ch- my first son was 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 still a baby. And I'd just gone back to work after maternity leave and it was raining. It was raining and raining and raining and the cloth nappies weren't drying. I had cloth nappies on every surface in my home trying to dry them all out. And it was and I went out to do the shopping and I got to Sainsbury's and and I and I thought I've got to be ethical. Um, and And I'm standing there and I'm going, do I buy the organic green beans from Kenya or the not organic green beans from Kent. And I froze, I utterly froze because I could not make this moral decision. What was the morally ethical thing to do? What pressure on yourself? (laughs) Um, Because I was trying to live this perfect, sustainable life. Um, And in the end, I remember I burst into tears. I got myself all wound up. And then I went, do you know what? And I walked over, I bought disposable nappies a chocolate bar and um <laughs> took them <laughs> and I went 
at home and I was like and I, I can't even remember which of the beans I chose to get and that was probably a point when I realized that I'd gone too far that mm. my attempt to live perfectly mm. was just such pressure uh, putting myself under far too much pressure mm. and, and and you know we do have other aspects of our lives that matter too yeah definitely and I think when you're doing the kind of job that you're doing it's very easy to to do that in terms of you know you you, you know that that something needs to be done and you know you, you want to be doing something what you can to to make a change in that and you know we all we can all ask the question are we doing enough but I think that there's also this element of you know we, we need to love our planet and we need to love each other and not judge each other in terms of you know well what are you doing you know are you going to fly what air miles are you going to do next year or you know how how what have you got an electric car or um you know because these are all possibly financial decisions things that yeah. you know not everybody has control over um and often in all these conversations that I've been having for a lot of people there's sort of two sides to it if they're on this sort of ethical path they can afford to make certain financial decisions because they're able to afford to do it yes yeah but for for most of the world actually they can't really afford to have organic food delivered to their house every day or once or twice a week they're reliant on supermarkets packing things in plastic because that's what they can afford to buy for their you know for their families and there's a certain I don't think we should be judging like, and I'm not saying you are um, but I think as what I've heard from so many different people is, is, is doing that just that little bit where you can how you can um, you know my, I had a conversation with my daughter yesterday and, and all the friends at school have a certain make of a coat and brand new as a coat it's 150 pounds wow and it's it I we buy branded horse stuff because um, often they are better quality and you are talking about being in a wet, wet rain, cold, they last yeah. for years and years. And often you can buy breath better and it will last better. So from a sustainability perspective, that, that costs more money, right? Than buying some cheap coat that's been made in India, for example, but flown over here and you get it mm. for 20, 30 quid, but it lasts five minutes. And um, that wouldn't work in that in that field. And I can get my practical Scottish upbringing can get my head around, you know, that 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 essence of spend. But my head can't get it around around it for a designer coat that would just be used to walk around the shopping centre or mm. knock about with her friends. Um, so she said, how about we look on eBay and see if we could get it secondhand, like a good quality one. Yeah. Secondhand. Now. My husband would be like, no, we're not. That, that, that makes us look like we can't afford it in the first place. And I'm like, no, you're, he didn't say that. But I know in previous conversations, that's what he would say. And the point is being is that, no, it's about the sustainability piece. And my daughter said, but, but the coat's already been made, mum. Like, it's, it, what's the difference if we go to the shop and we buy it new? And I said, because we're not then supplying that demand for it by buying it again mm-hmm. and again and again. Whereas if we're buying it with, buying it secondhand we're giving money back into a family economy rather than a corporate economy and we're allowing that money to be spent on that nuclear family that's already spent that money rather than it going back into a, you know a large corporate chain but also we're not then like feeding that demand for that coat to be produced again and again and again and okay yeah. it's not perfect but 
I think it's more definitely more relevant when it comes to like plastic toys, for example. I'm fed up with the amount of plastic dinosaurs around my house. <laughs> and I'm I'm looking at Christmas presents that I can buy secondhand, which we're talking good quality. Like you wouldn't know if you took one out of a box, brand new, and one from a secondhand home, and it was they're often so immaculately kept that you wouldn't my kids don't that mine had like chipped and got mud all, <laughs> all sorts of things on them and um, there you wouldn't know that you wouldn't know the difference right my kids no. wouldn't know the difference um but so there's some of the small things that I'm doing that where I can and that's not perfect I know that there's other better examples I'm sure but it just this small process of having these kind of conversations with people like yourself, I am asking the question, right, what could I be doing differently? What, where can I start with this? But you've been doing this for 20 years, right? So yeah. what are your top tips, I guess, in terms of, well, so, so we're not getting to the, the Sainsbury's um, baked bean aisle, having a debate over which beans um, and really beating ourselves up. What are some of the things that you can do or do you do right now that you think are sustainable enough for you at the same time sure so um yeah ex- exactly and I, I say i've been down all the paths and i've got myself completely lost into what's the right moral right moral decision and there mm. are actually some really good resources so if you're at the point where you're wanting to know more about those things there are some resources out there um which i'm afraid i can't remember now but but i'm sure google can find them um you can always send them to me if you remember them and i put them in the show notes and people can just sure. have a look through and read the show notes so there are some resources where you know they 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 talk about various different dimensions of of of, of the ethical in how something was produced. So if you're trying to decide, you need you need new trainers and trainers and sort of thing. It's difficult to buy secondhand. Um, there are some websites that will will talk about both the social and the environmental impact of choosing between one brand and another brand. Mm. Um, and there are so when you start going down those that route, you mm. can get to the point where um there is a lot of material and unlike you i um i've started to use companies where um i spend more money but um it lasts longer so mm. two years ago i bought my husband a um coffee grinder for his birthday and it broke in six months this year i went to a shop called um buy me once um where i could um I spent three times as much on a coffee grinder, but it's got a lifetime guarantee. Um, so, Perfect. so you know, now I, I'm aware that, that you have to have a certain level of financial stability in order to make yeah. those decisions. Um, and what I would just say to, is that for people who aren't at that point financially, actually, you're probably having a lower impact on the environment than the people who are richer. So, you know, people who, who, who yeah. are buying... Um, economy um plastic wrapped carrots in Sainsbury's are probably not the problem um in terms of the environment um what is the problem then so I I think um well the the problem is that it's it's actually multi-dimensional so from a pure climate perspective it's not terrible to dig plastic out or to, to dig oil out the ground turn it into plastic and then bury it again um the, 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 <laughs> because it's better than burning it um which you know in a car um <laughs> the, right. the, so from a pure climate perspective but if you look at the bigger picture and you look at you know how at the moment they do that processing to plastic and you and you look at the issues about how that plastic is not actually buried back in the ground in britain but is actually sent to other countries where it ends mm. up in the sea then 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 you've got a different um thing so if 
if you're trying to live sustainably, even there, you know, is it which bit of the puzzle are you trying to work on? And there's so many rabbit holes you can go down. What I would actually say is I'd suggest people start with what's easy to them. So I've almost never had a car in my life. So for me, not owning a car and just renting a car when I need one is quite an easy choice. Whereas mm. I can imagine that somebody who commutes by car, that is not an easy choice at all for them. But there might be somebody else who's been vegetarian for a long time for ethical reasons, could easily switch to vegan. Um, whereas for me, I still feel the need at the moment to cook meat a few times a week. So I'm, I'm increasing the number of vegan meals. So I think of it not as a person being vegan, but a meal being vegan. And I'm trying to have more vegan meals in my week. Um, but there are times when I am exhausted and I've come home from a long day at work and I must admit fish fingers and chips <laughs> um, yeah. with not organic baked beans um, is, is, <laughs> is, is, is a simple and quick and all I've got time for. So um, I think I think you can beat yourself up. I think we should all have a plan if the country is going to halve its CO2 emissions in the next 10 years, which is what we've planned. We should all have a plan individually to halve our CO2 emissions in the next mm. 10 years. So if you think about it over the next 10 years, I want to transition to a situation where my carbon footprint is half what it is today. Now, right. similarly, you teach people to budget. So the first thing is you've got to know what they're actually spending. So similarly, the first thing is to know what is your carbon budget your today carbon... and where is yeah. where is the big one? And then like you do with your budgeting, you think, well, which of these carbon expenses are essential? Mm. Mm -hmm. Which of these are very difficult to change right now? So if you've got gas central heating, that is yeah. quite a big step to change that one. Whereas buying some thermal curtains might be a small step. So right. it's it's looking at, you know, for, for you as an individual, where is it? Now, for some people, it will be buying a lot of stuff that gets imported from all around the world mm. um, and the actual manufacturing and and. and to be honest, for me, per, probably personally, that is still my biggest problem is that I do tend to buy things to save me time. Um, yeah. And um, and I think that's probably an area where I personally still have a lot of work to do is, is to see how I can do things like you've been talking about, you know, buying second hand. But it takes longer to go on eBay and search for that coat on eBay than to walk down the shops or you know, or buy it from our favourite, our favourite, uh, <laughs> ping, 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 yeah, shop at the moment and just buy it. But I think, so, you know, it's, it's not about making it impossible. It's about looking at um, where you can make the difference. And it might be that you can become passionate about one part. So obviously, um, you know, a lot of people are passionate about the fact that they no longer fly. Some yeah. people are passionate about the fact they're vegan. Some people are passionate about the fact they live without a car and they cycle everywhere. Some people yeah. are passionate about the fact they've transitioned entirely to an electrical car. Some people mm. are passionate, and I do know probably more friends of mine who are physicists, are passionate about their insulation, how well they've insulated their house and the solar panels <laughs> they've got on the roof. And I have a friend who has a blog where he has graphs of, of how much heat his house is, is losing every day. So we all have our passions and yeah I would encourage you if you are passionate enough and you want to take one of those to that natural conclusion so to say I am no longer going to eat any animal-based product at all I'm going to become fully vegan or even beyond eating I know they also don't use 
animal products elsewhere, um, or I'm going to do a plastic free life, or I'm going to do a uh, no, not buying anything brand new um, for the next year to experiment. If, if you're ready for that, take it and mm. do talk about it, but don't be too upset if the rest of us can't quite keep up. Um, mm. I think the world needs those passionate pioneers who are showing the way. The reason I can eat now probably about half my meals vegan is because there have been some true vegans who held that for a Process. long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, but when you get people saying, oh, how dare you fly? How dare you um, use that plastic water bottle? How, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's when you can get yourself to the point where you're crying in Sainsbury's for the green yeah. beans. Um, yeah, but it comes from a place of passion, I suppose. That's 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 the thing, isn't it? Because they care. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, in the day, like they, I, I was really interested. I asked a question on my Facebook group just today about money and relationships, which is another show for the new, like for in a few weeks' time. And um, it was really interesting how some people, I could tell by their response, not, it wasn't in a negative or a bad way, but I could tell by their response that they just didn't understand the other side of the spectrum. And they were like, oh, it might, mine's never like that. We've never been like that. That's not how we do things. And they're in you know, a normal, loving, open relationship where probably there was a certain degree of stability before a certain financial point so they can continue that trajectory. But for people who aren't on that, level playing field that aren't on a certain level of financial stability and then they go into a narcissistic abusive financial controlling relationship their viewpoint is going to be very very different right so um and I think when you have a certain perspective when you have like you've got that step back looking from satellites quite literally and someone like myself can take a step back and I've heard so many different financial opinions about different way people do things and how relationships work and I understand how people can have a different sort of point of view on things because I've heard these conversations for over 20 years. I've heard it like, not in a patronizing way, but I've heard it so many times. I've heard it before that you sort of know the thought process and the thought pattern. And I think, it, you know, it's similar with this subject that we're talking about that it, <laughs> I talk about, I'll give you an example. I'm vegetarian. Um, I'm not quite vegan because I can't quite go get, get rid of cheese yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, um, we don't have an awful lot of milk in the house. I don't drink a lot of milk. And one of my next steps, um, and I have tried it a few times, is to transition the house over to um, no milk. Um, but I have managed to get my husband to stop having protein shakes with milk. And he has now uh, pea protein with um, mm-hmm. water rather than wheat protein with milk. And it was a small transition, but he, he, got, he got the point. Um, and what a lot of people don't realise is that, well, for, for we, you know that the reason that carbon emissions is very important when it comes to animals is because of the I understand from someone it's actually not their, the cows farting, it's actually their belching that causes the, <laughs> the, the, the yeah. problem. My, my original passion to going vegetarian was, is not an environmental one. It, that happens to be a secondary fantastic bonus and one that does continue to ensure that I, I don't but it was actually more of an ethical one how I personally feel about eating animals mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. my feeling around that I could go off on a really big rant of a passion as to why that's the case but I I know that that excuse me that that's not fair putting that on anybody else that's not a vegetarian um, and so many people ask me well why have you gone vegetarian why would you do that oh my god a cow just tastes absolutely lovely 
and recently I um, got invited to a mum's um, new school mums my little ones just started school just this year it's the first Christmas and they're going to a massive steak joint oh, now gosh. I can handle going to a restaurant where my husband will have a steak just about um but I'll be honest even the other day I did struggle with having this medium rare and the blood on the plate like I really do struggle with it mm-hmm. and so when they said where they were going I said I've messaged the lady I said look can I can I let you know how I'm feeling because to be quite honest it's, a, it's actually quite emotionally stressful for me to be yeah. in that environment and I, I, she, I th- she got it because she's actually used to be vegetarian herself. And I said, the only way I can liken it, and my husband, I tried to explain this to my husband as well, is that you used to be a smoker. Imagine you go into a restaurant that's a smoking restaurant. Okay, everybody yeah. in there can smoke and everyone around you smokes. And you're a now non-smoker. Now, we all know what a non-smoker is like, right? And they don't like the smell of it, the taste of it. And they literally just with one little whiff of smoke and they'd be turning their nose up. Um, now, I'm not, in that, I'm not that judgmental about it, but that's what it's like for me being around a load of people eating red raw meat. Yeah. I literally, it, may, it makes me almost sick, if I'm honest. Like, I don't, I don't talk, try and talk about it that much, but it's, it's really hard for me to be in that room with those people, as it would be if you was in a room full of people smoking. And it's all about perspective, right? And this, mm. what when we could bring this back to this climate change, like the way you've put it in terms of picking one thing you're really passionate about, it, it, it for some people that might be really difficult because they like me, they like eating me, they don't see that climate change is a big issue for them, they like their massive Land Rover that you know that they drive everywhere around in, they don't really want to change that. They can't, they maybe don't see the relevance or the importance of it because it just seems to be something that's happening somewhere else to somebody else. Sure. So I'll, 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 I'll try and respond to that because I think there are two different perspectives that I have, I have on that. Um, the, so the first is actually, to some extent, it won't matter. Cars are getting more efficient, not because people are driving less. Indeed, actually, people are driving more as they become more efficient, but because the newer cars are more efficient than the older cars. And this chap you're imagining who likes to go out and then Range Rover or whatever will naturally find that that becomes more and more efficient. And by 2030, it will have to be electric. So, um, you know, this person will transition whether they like it or not. not. Um, And and I guess that that type of person is the type of person who will want to have the latest car. And I actually think what we have to remember is there is potential exponential growth in the good things as well. So we've all learned about exponential growth in COVID and how the cases suddenly went from almost nothing to everybody's got it it felt like that anyway um mm. and 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 you of course know about exponential growth in the in the markets and, yep. and the the benefit of compound massive amount compound it, interest it, where yeah. a small investment at 20 can give you a good retirement at sort of 60 because you've you've had the years of compound growth i actually think that things like the transition to electric cars things like the increase actually the, the recognized need to increase public transport in towns the um uh, questions about agriculture and how agriculture is done even things that we have no control over like how steel is manufactured or how concrete is manufactured um, all of these things are out of our control and they're growing exponentially so there will be a transition point when nobody's going to want to buy a petrol car not because they care about the environment but because the electric cars are better you know it's it's um and i I hired a car this summer 
Oh, did you? And I loved it. And, you know, and I, I have been thinking, do I get a car? Do I not get a car? You know, I've lived without one for a couple of years now. Um, and, and it's now like, I don't want a petrol car. I don't like the smell. It's actually, it's, it's funny because you gave the example with that you don't want to go back to meat because you don't like the smell of meat. You know, I don't like the smell of petrol now. It's, um, it's like it? smoking. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can no longer accept the smell of smoke in a pub when, you know, 25 Not years exactly. ago it was normal. I can no longer accept the smell of petrol because I've now done, interestingly, with the electric car, my, my son, who's normally sick in the car, wasn't oh. sick at all. And I'm sure it's the smell. But, but anyway, that's an aside. So, that, that, so one thing is that there is this real exponential growth. So this person who mm. doesn't care um, is probably going to transition anyway, because the rest of society is transitioning around mm. them. And what we can do to help that person is to put pressure on the manufacturers to make things that are more sustainable, but which are still meeting. So one of my jobs, many jobs I've had was about the transition to low energy lighting. And when we had, do you remember those compact fluorescents? They were awful. I mean, they were yeah. actually awful light bulbs. I, of course, because I was going at the peak of my, I'm a climate scientist. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I was, it was at the green bean phase. Um, I, I <laughs> replaced all the lights in my house with compact fluorescents and they took five minutes to heat up, light turn on. It was dull. Um, my, I had, my son had these beautiful brown trousers that look green under these lights, you know, and, and I can explain the science of why, but that's a, that's a whole nother thing. Um, and at work, I was measuring these lights and we were proving they were awful. And then all of a sudden, LEDs came in. And yeah. then as soon as LEDs came in, everybody made the transition. So when it was, when the alternative to tungsten lights was awful, only the really environmentally conscious people made the transition. But when mm. the alternative to tungsten lights was a good product, even in and of itself, like an LED light is nicer, people have all just made the transition without, without any fuss. So I think there is, there is something on that. And then finally, if you're somebody who does care, but you don't know where to start and you don't have a passion, you're not already vegetarian, so maybe thinking about going vegan or you're not already somebody who rarely used their car who might think, oh, could I give it up? Or you're not already someone who shops a lot in um, second-hand shops yeah, and is willing to say, let's, you know, if you're a normal person who has maybe a holiday, in normal conditions, a holiday or two a year, and actually you missed one for the last couple of years, so you really want to go on holiday this year, and you have, an, have a petrol car that you use to commute, and your house isn't very in, well insulated, and, you know, where do you start? Where do you, and I think you start where it's easiest. Um, climate change is real, and, and, you know, we've talked a lot about how we shouldn't judge each other on um, the, like what we choose to do. Mm. But one thing I'd say as a scientist is there is a huge difference between the question, is climate change real? Mm. And the question, what should we do about it? The question, is climate change real, is a science question. And scientists have answered it. And actually scientists answered it in 1990. And all they've done since 1990 is refine the detail in the answer. Yeah. Climate change is real. That is not a matter of opinion. What we do about it, that's a matter for politics, that's a matter for individuals, that's a matter for communities. And there, I think we have to be very careful not to, not to be judging the choices other people are making, um, and then to look at our own life in the same way that you would advise people with their financial budgeting. Work out what you're spending at the moment. What is your carbon mm. footprint right now? What is your um, 
what is what is what is the area where either a change could make the biggest impact so i'm sure you know when you when 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 we looked at my finances we found some bills i was paying where i didn't actually need to be paying them because i'm not using the service what's the equivalent with your climate budget what are the things yeah. where you just need to upgrade that ancient bridge or you need yeah, to yeah. um you know where one little change would knock a whole load off with almost yeah. no effort for you which are the ones that are going to be a little bit more difficult and you talk about in your courses about values mm. you know so if my value is I want my children to see their grandparents in Canada I've you know getting rid of personal flights is a really tough one for me yeah sure but if my value is I I want to um you know my family to be active and physical then actually saying we're going to take public transport rather than the car is an easy yeah. one and it's fitting yeah. with my values I got it so just before we wrap up I've just got one question for you just because you know you are a climate scientist and I've had this conversation a couple of times pop up about um carbon off uh, offsetting yeah so um someone else's point and I forget who it was who I interviewed was that um I think it was Jen Gow from Sustainable-ish I think and she said that, yeah, that's great, but we shouldn't be just doing whatever it is that we shouldn't be doing um, anyway. Like we shouldn't just yeah. go on like tw- 10 flights a year because we want to. This is her, you know, her view on it. Um, and then planting X amount of trees to offset that. Like we just shouldn't do that many flights. Now, there is a form of, you know, judgment in there. And she's very passionate about the fact that she believes that that we shouldn't be flying like this, this yeah. the climate change is such an issue that that should stop now just on the point of um the offsetting piece so would you you know you've just talked about parents grandparents in Canada um you know that's not something that's a train ride um a boat would take I don't know a day I couldn't go on a boat I'd be I have actually looked hell. it up the boat is as bad for the environment as the flight if wow, you take okay. a, if you take the you know the, the QE2 or something like that yeah right you could get you could lower your comfort point by hitching a ride on a container ship but not with children no <laughs> and I, there I, aren't I currently sound... sailing boats unless you're Greta Thunberg <laughs> 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 No, I don't think I would quite be brave enough to do that. Um, but what do, what's your thoughts on this carbon footprint uh, offsetting? Sure. I think it's so actually society as a whole is having the same debate. So the, the politicians at uh, Paris and, and then and then through the cops have agreed to net zero. Net zero is global carbon um, offsetting. <laughs> so so net zero is the fact that we recognise that getting rid of um, fossil fuels being used in electricity is relatively easy. Getting rid of fossil fuels being used in um, heating our homes and transporting our cars, all of those are actually relatively easy. Not easy, easy. There's still a lot of challenges, but they're doable. Getting rid of um, fossil fuels in aviation and shipping is extremely difficult because basically the plane and the ship has to carry its fuel and fossil fuels are very energy dense. So what society as a whole is saying is that we will achieve net zero by 2050. And what we're saying is we will plant enough trees. We will um, possibly seed algae in the sea. We will do things that will absorb some of our carbon dioxide um, so that we effectively are offsetting it. So that's what governments are doing. Um, There is talk about going carbon negative 
So beyond 2050, actually planting more trees and yeah. and possibly by sort of 2070, 2080, having technologies that will suck carbon dioxide out of the air. Incredible. Now, so that is the way that, that the world as a whole is solving the problem. And, and we as individuals sometimes need to make those choices too. So I do, I would prefer not to fly, but my par parents live in another continent that's not available by train. Um, and so I have decided that for me, I can accept us flying about once every four or five years. Right. It's actually been seven or eight now because of COVID, but because um, yeah. it was going to be last year. Um, and I will offset that. And, but, but I see that as a, as a last resort. And what I do try to do is plant trees anyway. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I've, I've looked for various companies that, that plant trees in, in um, you know, especially trees that can also offer economic value to, 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 to these wonderful women in sub-Saharan Africa who are, um, yeah. <laughs> who are planting, planting that, that green wall. Um, yeah so so Amazing, i think yeah. offsetting is is not so some people use offsetting as an excuse i can continue doing my 10 flights mm. a year mm. and having this and this because i offset i think we've got to think beyond that and i think we've got to go to um yeah to the point of i'm trying to reduce everything as far as i can but i'm personally going to need to reach net to zero before i reach absolute zero mm, got it well, I've, I've loved the conversation today. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for spending your lunch break, I'm, I imagine, um, talking to me today. And um, any, last, any last thoughts or suggestions, comments before we say goodbye? So I, I just think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll speak um, of my heroine, uh, <laughs> who is Christiana Figueres. Christiana Figueres, um, is the woman who made the Paris Agreement happen. She went to Copenhagen, the collapse of the agreement in Copenhagen, and she then worked really hard to achieve the Paris Agreement. And her TED talk is amazing. And what she says is what she did between Copenhagen and Paris is inject hope into the discussions. So up to that point, everybody had despaired. We'll never reach a climate agreement. We'll never get an agreement between rich nations and poor nations. We'll never do this. And what she did was she spent those years between Copenhagen and Paris injecting hope. And she says what people need most of all right now is active hope. So this mm. isn't just wishing, crossing your fingers and wishing. This is a more um, powerful hope um, that, that makes you makes it worth keeping trying got it no I love that that's a really nice way to end things today thank you so much for joining us Emma and I hope you have you back another time hopefully thank you very much take care bye thank you for joining us on today's episode of accelerate your wealth for further help or to connect with Rebecca directly please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. For any regulated advice, please do head over to www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk